Money Books with Aaron, Polly, Tim, Wayne, and Andrew. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. This is Wayne. This is Tim. And this is Andrew. Tim, was that your little boy voice? No. It sounded little boyish. It sounded small and wee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Break the podcast, Aaron. Break it. <laughs> Break it. <laughs> Do you know what else is small and wee? Stephanie Brown. No. <laughs> Read the outline, Andrew. Jeez. You're Andrew. Andrew is with me. Outlines are constraining. They hold back my creative freedom, Paul. That really was a premature transition. Yeah, I think this is. I think the episode title of this one's going to be "Broken Podcast." FYI, I, I don't think I don't have anything above except for Stephanie Brown. I don't have anything above. Scroll down. That. Scroll down. Hold on. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so this is like what happens when the magician tells you how he did the trick. <laughs> so Paul, I hear your dad's a geek. <laughs> yeah. And, and then he still he, he still goes for the transition. He's like, it's still my transition. So <laughs> Hey, just because there is a newer revised outline below the outline I was reading, I I feel I don't know. I just want to move on and get the spotlight off me. I'm, I'm sweating now and like I'm perspiring and like now. Okay. Now I'm just nervous. <laughs> All right. So, so that's a nerd. Well, well, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about our love for fat man on Batman. Right. The, uh, the new Kevin Smith podcast. Um, first episode he interviewed, um, Paul somebody, Dini. Paul Dini. Yep. Second, second and third episodes were Mark Hamill and fourth episode is the voice of Batgirl, Tara Strong. That one was amazing to listen to, too. She was uh, just fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it's a dynamite podcast. Now, I mean, they, they've all been great episodes. But the the second episode, um, is the Mark Hamill episode, Mark Hamill is talking about – he. Mark Hamill is pretty much the proto-geek. He's been a geek all his life. Um, and he goes into this story about how he used to write for a Ray Harryhausen fanzine. Way back when. My dad calls me the other night. My dad has the issue of that fanzine that Mark Hamill wrote for. Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And and he's kept it all this time. Not because it had Mark Hamill, but because my dad's a huge Harryhausen fan. Right. You know, and here I am. I read comics and then, like, I throw them away. (laughs) (laughs) You've got that Jonathan Landreth thing, you know. You use them around for for sanitary purposes. You know, you line the birdcage, you wipe your backside, and you yeah, toss. Your, yeah, I'm I'm waiting till you know the holidays so I can light fires with them. Mm-hmm. But no, my my dad has held on to this fanzine, a fanzine, not even like a regular magazine. This Ray Harry hasn't found fanzine with a Mark Hamill article in it for all this time. It just goes to show you, you know, clearly it's in the blood. My geekiness. <laughs> wow, that is that's pretty intense, man. I'm gonna need a picture of that. Yeah, yeah, I, I need to do it before because he, he realized it, and he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna put this on eBay." Because you know, as soon as you realize something's worth money, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like so, plasma, okay. <laughs> <laughs> semen. Yeah, <laughs> it's not worth as much as you think, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what else isn't worth anything? Stephanie Brown. <laughs> Hey, no, that's just hurtful. Nice. Yeah, why, why all the hate for someone who is one of my favorite characters? I co-sign that transition. 
So I was excited this week because I saw there's a campaign out there, Waffles for Stephanie Brown. And the whole point of this campaign is on August 10th, they're getting all of the Stephanie fans to send waffles to Dan DiDio. And the point of it being August 10th is because her Batgirl title started in August. The title was canceled for the uh, the new 52 in August. And she just likes waffles. The uh, also August though, there apparently she's going to be in uh, in the Smallville season eleven series as Nightwing, which doesn't really make any sense. But I'll be buying my first issue of Smallville season eleven just because she's going to be there. So well, I, I actually, oh, sorry, go ahead. I actually am seriously thinking about sending them waffles. I, I've never taken part in one of these fan-sponsored, you know, fan-sponsored campaigns or anything like that. But she really is one of my favorite characters, and I don't think DC is done right by the character at all. I don't want to see her back as Batgirl or anything. I liked her better as Spoiler. I just want to see the character back. So, long story short, Wayne's going to waste some money on waffles this <laughs> month. <laughs> It won't be a waste if she comes back in somewhere other than Smallville Season 11, because I don't want to read Smallville Season 11, but I'm going to pick it up since she's Nightwing. Uh, you know, I think if she's going to come back, she's going to come back regardless of the waffle incident. The waffle incident. <laughs> I, I I don't know. The, these fan things, What do you, these like efforts, don't always seem to work out. No, but they uh, do sometimes. I mean, this this all started with Jericho. It worked for Jericho. Actually, it worked for Star Trek third season of the original series. I and Chuck. Yeah. But I mean, it worked for Jericho, and they, they got a second season. So that's uh, that's kind of the modern-day inspiration. Plus, if nothing else, Dan DiDio gets a whole lot of waffles. Yeah. Well, and he likes waffles. I Who I doesn't hear. like waffles? That's right. Well, yeah, it'd be un-American not to like waffles. You'd have to be a communist. That's right. And I think also- even most communists like waffles. It's also a slight against DC as well because the uh, if you if you read into the websites where they're talking about it, they keep talking about DC waffling on whether they're bringing her back or not because they've made comments both ways since the new Fifty Two has launched. I don't know if it's insulting very the company. Witty, the waffle joke, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's very it's very subtle. You have to really dig down. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I don't know if insulting the company is really the proper way to get Stephanie Brown back in comics, but you know. Giving them delicious waffles is true. True. Well, listen. If we need a Joker to kill a Robin to, you know, give Joker the cred back because uh, Jason Todd's alive. Damian Wayne's ready. Kill him, please. I can, I can co-sign on one of those Robins dying. What is the hate for Stephanie? Is it just because I like her? No, I mean it's just because she kind of sucks. I mean, well, it's yeah. just a matter of her starting a gang war in, in Gotham City. I mean, yeah. small matter of innocence dying, you know, <laughs> just being the worst be Robin. The <laughs> yeah, being the worst Robin in the history of ever. Yeah, yeah, she, that, she wasn't a bad Batgirl. I will give her that. But as a Robin, no, I like spoiler. I, yeah, I, I that. I used to like spoiler. A, I want her back as spoiler. I mean, that story with. Uh, so I really did like the uh, the war crimes, war game stories, but that story was the worst thing they ever did to the character. And besides the brutal torture and, you know, supposed death that wasn't really a death, having her start the whole gang war was something that, you know, was 
bad for the character in the long run. I guess I'm kind of of the mind that if Tim Drake kicked her to the curb, maybe we should too. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I got to be honest, I think I think Tim Drake has seen more suffering in the new 52 than Stephanie Brown. I think Stephanie Brown is lucky to be missing. A re- <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Stephanie Brown had a quick clean death. Tim Drake is dying the slow agonizing death of teen Titans. Yes, exactly. Jesus. <laughs> the death none of us are seeing because we won't buy teen Titans. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Uh, so uh, good luck to you guys. I, I hope it works out. I mean, Stephanie Brown was in Batman Incorporated, but no one buys it. Just saying. Okay, so now we've talked about something I care about that none of the rest of you do. Let's talk about something I don't care about. Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Oh, I thought you were going to say before Watchmen, but Guardians of the Galaxy is even better. (laughs) Let's have that discussion. Well, we've got Andrew waiting. So, you know, he's just ready to pounce. So, there you go. But Guardians of the Galaxy, man, this thing is, is getting just, you know, steamboated for 2014. I am... Pumped. Do you think it's do, – do, do we actually have that confirmed, or is this yeah. a rumor still? No, think, it's actually confirmed. Huh. Of all the characters, why would they bother with the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, though? There are so many characters that will bring in more people to the theaters. They've been water-dripping it in Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Um, they're looking to, to – Which they're canceling. Yeah, but it's, they're not canceling because it's not popular. They're canceling because they've got enough to syndicate. Right, but I'm just saying that they're water-dripping it in, but it's not going to go anywhere because they're canceling the series. Well, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to water-drip it into the next series. I think what uh, Andrew's maybe. saying, Aaron, is that Guardians of the Galaxy was the poison pill for... <laughs> <laughs> no, this trying. is... I, I got to tell you, is, you, you, go put, you put Rocket Raccoon on the screen, it's a license to print money. <laughs> I, I, I really <laughs> like Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy. Much, not, not quite as much as Aaron, because that's like stalkery type of light, but... <laughs> I do like Guardians of the Galaxy quite a bit, but it seems like a bad choice for a Marvel movie. Uh, you know, I gotta disagree with you guys. Yeah, I think it's been a while since we've seen any type of space opera, and that's what they're looking at. They're not looking at a, another comic book movie. Right. They're looking at, ooh, we can do the next Star Wars because there hasn't been a Star Wars movie since Episode Three, and there hasn't been anything like a Star Wars movie since episode three. Well, actually there's not been anything like a Star Wars movie since, uh, episode six. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right, but it, it seems like they're tying it into the main meta plot line of, of the uh, Marvel movie. So it's not going to be off by itself in space, standalone ish from the rest of it. It's going to be tied into the overarching plot. Yeah, but that'll help bring people in. I think I think that's more of a vehicle to bring people in. You know, I don't think Thanos is going to be Avengers two. I think Thanos is going to be Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, I think that. I think of so Avengers. You know, they introduced each of the main five characters one movie at a time, let people get to know them, introduce their mythology and background. This time they're going to throw what four to six Guardians of the Galaxies who are more are, are lesser known characters than the Avengers, and they're going to hit you up with them all at once in one movie. Well, but yeah. let me let me predict this. You've okay. got you've got what three more uh, Marvel superhero movies coming out before uh, Guardians of the Galaxy? What do you bet there is some kind of teaser at the end of each of those movies teasing the Guardians of the Galaxy movie? 
I don't know. I, I think they would tease the oh, kind of like they did in the first set of movies. They would they would tease the overarching plot line. So you might see a little glimpse of them, but yeah, you're okay enough to, for people to be like, oh, I, I know everything there is to know now about Rocket Raccoon. I'm in. That's right. They're, they're going to tease something that will actually make money. I think Guardians of the Galaxy is going to make ass loads of money. It's not going to make Avengers mon- money, don't get me wrong, but it's also not going to cost as much as the Avengers. I think no, Guardians- it's going to make John Carter money. No, yeah, I-, I was about to say exactly the same thing. Completely I disagree. You, I mean, think about the toys they're going to ma- manufacture off of this movie. I mean, who outside of this podcast cares about Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah, who outside of hardcore comics fans knows who these characters but that's even not are the to point. begin with? They're going to okay, market well, those those very marketable characters to the general public, and I guarantee you those those toys go flying off the shelves. Yeah, I got to be honest. I mean, I completely disagree with you. I mean, those characters are very niche. Yeah, but you know what? I don't feel like they have the same appeal as. I'm sorry. If you take if you take an image of Rocket Raccoon, and show it to kids, I think they're they're going to be excited about that. I think little boys are excited about a raccoon with a gun, and I think little girls it it pipes into that whole kind of anime thing and furry thing. I think this 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 makes money hand over fist. I'm going to laugh when they make the movie and make the decision not to include him because they think he's corny. <laughs> but you know what? The fundamental flaw in saying that these characters are too niche is show anybody a picture of Iron Man a year before yep. the Robert Downey Jr. movie came out. Yeah, who gave a shit about Iron Man other than us? Yeah, you know? who, who would have thought that Iron Man would have launched the Marvel franchise? I'm not me. But I, I but think it, there's a fundamental difference between a guy in a suit of armor and a talking raccoon. And let's well, face it, would Iron Man have done anywhere nearly as good if they didn't get Robert Downey Jr.? No, I mean, exactly. He so made I think it's that movie. So I think it's all about whoever they get in the movie and whoever they get to do the movie. Okay, it, okay, I, well, I got to hop in here for a second. So uh, I mean, you're right that Iron Man wasn't. Super well known, but he was about a hundred times more well known than the Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, and two, completely and, agree. And two, and, and two the, like I said, they took one movie to explore each of these characters before they put them together in the team movie. They're not doing that with Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, but well, who's to say that they're going to do it as a team movie? I mean, it, Star Wars was a team movie, and I, I know I keep going back to Star Wars, but I think that's probably the template they're going to use to do this this space movie. I don't, I, and if they don't, then they're stupid. Basically, you know, they, they should they should not be trying to do a regular superhero on Earth well, movie with the Guardians uh, of the Galaxy. Let, let me finish off with one thing: Uh-oh. if Marvel Marvel is owned by Disney, and if there's one thing Disney knows how to do, it's talking animals. I <laughs> I, I, I got to tell you, I think I think this is going to be huge. Not Avengers huge, but I think it's going to be huge. Well, you know, and I, I, Paul had said that Iron Man kicked off the Marvel movies. That's that's not actually true. I got to correct you. It was actually the Hulk that kicked off the Marvel movies. With Hulk? <laughs> no, uh, Ed, Nord, Ed Norton Hulk. Yeah, uh, Ed Norton Hulk was two months after Iron Man. Yeah, oh, was it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, so they're right around the same time. But and I'd like to point out, The Incredible Hulk made 134 million dollars. That was the first of the Marvel movie. I guess it was the second Marvel movie. Sorry, so it wasn't building off too much, and still made quite a lot of money. Well, but yeah, but it, it was still also a kind of a disappointing box office, considering it came after Iron Man, which was such a big hit. But again, Robert Downey Jr. versus Ed Norton. Who are you going to pick? Johnny Depp. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, sigh. All right, so Tim, you want to take your headphones off? Oh yeah, I'm on it. 
We have to talk about Tim now. Yeah. So Tim is taking his headphones off because he's avoiding a big spoilery discussion about the big announcement for Marvel this week. So big that it was in Fox News, you know, reputable media source, Fox <laughs> News, um, that Spider-Man is getting his own Robin. Stephanie Brown is joining the pages of Amazing Spider-Man. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. Um, no, uh, Spider-Man has a new sidekick called Alpha um, that will not, be premiering. Wait, not Spider-Boy? Not Spider-Boy, not Spider-Lad. Not, not Spider-Girl? <laughs> not Spider-Kid. Oh. Huh. No, Alpha. In fact, I, I, to my that's knowledge... Kind of, that's kind of a lame sidekick name, by the way. Yeah, he, he doesn't <laughs> actually have spider-based powers. Um, his origin, basically, the, the, it, the preview pages and the, the article uh, have said that his origin mirrors Spider-Man's in that this is a kid on a field trip to visit Peter Parker's lab at Horizon Labs, and there's an accident that causes him to get his powers, and Spider-Man takes him under his wing as a sidekick. Um, so, what do you guys think about that? Spider-Man having a sidekick? It's I don't I, I can't think of a single time in history where he's had a sidekick on a consistent basis. I think the con- the setup for it would be an interesting, you know, story arc. If this is a long-term sidekick, it's stupid. The name is stupid as well. You know, Alpha. It just doesn't uh, have a a superhero ring to be a Spider-Man sidekick at all. But I do think it could be an interesting story because I know what they're playing off of here, and they've even said in interviews is that he feels responsible for this kid because the kid got powers when one of his experiments went crazy. You know, that means that anything that the kid does is his responsibility. That's a typical Spider-Man story, and that can work very well, I think, for an arc. If at the end of the arc the kid lost his powers or something horrible happened to him, you know, that would be an interesting story. If this is a long-term, you know, this kid's going to be his sidekick for years, uh, bad idea. I honestly think that this is building towards the sidekick going bad. I mean, maybe it's just me, and maybe I've just seen that storyline too many times. I think we're looking at an invincible type setup here. You know, you you bring in the young kid, the young kid has powers, he's rambunctious, he goes bad. I think this is going to be a longer story. I do think it's going to be like a year or two, but you know, I I, I kind of think that the ultimate resolution is that Alpha's going to go bad and become a villain. But I could be wrong. What do you and what about the rest of you? What do you think about Spider-Man having a sidekick? Well, I think I'm okay with it, uh, especially on the short term. Although I wish it, I just wish it was Spider-Girl. Yeah, uh, I don't, that's kind of my thought as well. I, I yeah. really do wish that it was Spider-Girl. I love I Spider-Girl. Like Spider-Girl. Yeah. <laughs> I love me some Spider-Girl. Yeah. <laughs> her in a freakishly strong upper body. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Paul Tobin, you know, made me fall in love with the character, and and I would love to see her back in something. So if Marvel could, I know they all listen to this podcast. So if Marvel could get her into something, that'd be that'd be great. But uh, you know, I think I trust Dan Slott as a writer. I he's done a great job. I'm I'm gonna put my fate in uh, his hands and see where he takes me. Yeah, I don't I don't know what I think about Alpha. I, I don't have any strong feelings one way or the other. Um, it seems like a short term story, and as long as it's short term, I, I can live with that. I'm really not looking for something to to last real long because Spider Man's not a sidekick kind of superhero. You know, I don't yeah. want, I don't want to turn him into Batman. You know, we always would have said Spider Man's not a team kind of superhero either, and look at him now on multiple teams. Yeah, but those books aren't very good anymore. 
<laughs> My point exactly. <laughs> so, but they were good when they started. So maybe the alpha story will be good when it starts. Well, it'll probably be good as long as Dan Slott's writing it. Which actually leads us into this week's first book, Amazing Spider-Man six twenty-eight or six eighty-eight. Uh, it's the first start part of the No Turning Back storyline, featuring Spider-Man versus the Lizard. Um, the and cover says, think, "And how do you think this is going to roll into the Alpha storyline, Paul?" Um, I, <laughs> I'm just teasing. I guess comes back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good times. Um, <laughs> so, uh, did any of you guys read Shed? Mm. No. Yes, I finished reading it last night. Comixology had a fantastic 99 cent sale on uh, a lot of the ASM books, and I picked Shed up on the 99 cent sale. So wow. yes, Shed was great. <laughs> I pressed the right button for Aaron, didn't I? Yeah, you did. It was great. I loved it. Timing's everything. Aaron nearly choked on his drink trying to get it out. <laughs> yeah, Shed was fantastic. It's yeah. written by Zeb Wells. It's a very dark Spider-Man story. Oh my god, it's dark. I mean, and- it it if you know if the current Dan Slott storyline is characterized as no one dies, everybody dies in in Shed. <laughs> I mean, everybody dies, including a little kid. Yeah, we we even have Aunt May in in Shed. Aunt May like tearing a new asshole into Peter Parker. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. she's gone insane. I mean, it is a dark ass storyline. Yeah, it sure is. It sure is. Yeah, my 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 mooching uh my mooching nephew is always needing something, and you know I like helping out the uh, the uh, needy at uh, at the homeless shelter. But God, who thought they'd be so needy? I love it. They like that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's 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 a it, well, and it's as a result of in shed, um, <clears throat> the lizard has kind of like infected people with this negative energy, or maybe that was Mister Negative. I, I don't think remember. that was Mister Negative with Aunt May. Yeah, Mister Negative with Aunt May, and it's just it. Everyone's just like angry, and it's it's a it's it's well, it's and ninety nine cents on Comicsology. It well, probably won't. Be the time yeah, you listen. To <laughs> exactly, because I, I think it was a one day sale. But you know, leading up to the Spider Man movie, Comicsology's put a ton of Spider Man books on sale for ninety nine cents. Mm-hmm. But it, the 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 thing that's so interesting is it was part of that Gauntlet storyline in Amazing Spider Man, um, where his classic villains were given an upgrade, mm-hmm. and the Lizard has the ability to activate your lizard brain. Correct. And so you know. There, there is the way a mammal thinks versus the way a lizard thinks, you know. And a lot of the things that they talk about in the early on in the book, where Kirk, before Kirk Connors erupts into the lizard, you know, he's talking about how lizards aren't capable of feeling the things that that mammals feel. You know, they don't feel affection. You know, they they are, they're just territorial. They're instinctual. They're very much you know prey and predator, yada yada. And so when when the lizard finally grows into his new form, he's able to push humans, push mammals into having their lizard brain uh, take over their mammal brain. It's pretty damn intense. I, the book is fantastic. Yeah, highly recommended. Even if it's not ninety nine cents, it's a damn good read. Yeah, and very much informs the current storyline in Amazing Spider Man six eighty eight. Um, which spoilers on? Which if you've already read Spider Man six eighty eight, you know what happens is that Billy, <clears throat> or if you read Shed, um, Billy Connors, Kurt Connors' son, has been dead um, since the Shed storyline, killed by the lizard, and so that 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 very much plays into this storyline in that. 
using the DNA from Billy's body, Morbius has created a, a cure for Kurt Connor's lizard condition. And, um, you know, this story is quite a bit darker than the end of the earth storyline, I think, but I'm curious to hear what the rest of you guys have to say about it. How yeah, about it, Tim? Can I, can I pop in? But since I haven't read it, but I, I do, it's something's interesting having read shed. Is that you're given to believe that there's no Kurt Connors left, you know, that, that it's all lizard now. So it's interesting that they're, that they're trying to resurrect or, 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 uh, you know, regain that Kurt Connors personality. Well, I don't want to ruin the book for you, Aaron, Thank since you. you haven't read it yet, <laughs> <laughs> because that very much ties into this issue. Okay. Yeah, that's that. That they don't ignore that fact. That's yeah. part of the storyline in a very integral way. Okay, Tim, take it away. When did when did uh, Morbius give a crap about the lizard? Long time Somebody ago. Explain that to me. It's been a long time. Morbius and the lizard have been tied together for years now. I think. 1989. Yeah, and in the last appearance of uh, Morbius, he even mentioned Connors. Well, and that that was originally going to be the gay wedding in the Marvel Universe, was Morbius and, and the Lizard. <laughs> I, I nice. Guess, okay. I, I guess there's history there. I, you would seem that those two would not have a big tie. Yeah. So from when I was reading, it was pretty jarring to find out that the thing that the secret Scientist Six was working on was this cure for the lizard. That that's kind of a letdown to me, to be honest. But well, we already you know. knew it because last the last appearance of Morbius, he went you know when he went back into his uh, lab, he mentioned Connors. Well, I, mean, I think Tim didn't read the point one issue. Tim. Oh, okay. I don't remember. Six seventy nine point. You're right. This this story was definitely a darker story. Yeah, I mean it. it it's kind of jarring coming from, uh, you know, out of the Sinister Six uh, storyline into this. Yeah. Peter Parker has turned up the emo factor. I, I like that so much, too, because I've had a hard time taking a lot of these stories seriously because they were too light and too fluffy. So a darker story just really hit the button for me. One, it, it, his his increased emo kind of flows naturally because Silver Sable did just die and he feels responsible for her death. So him being a little more emo seems right to the story. Yeah, I mean, I think this is, you know, some of my favorite stories um, from Spider-Man past are stories uh, from the spectacular Spider-Man featuring um, the lizard or that rat creature. Does anyone remember the rat monster that lived in the sewers too? Splinter? Vermin, <laughs> vermin, sure. vermin, or Craven, you know, with art by Sal Buscema, you know, featured Spider-Man and in in these dark storylines. I mean, if you've never read the stuff, Spectacular Spider-Man is full of stories like that, and um, this book very much reminded me of that. In fact, you know, the Giuseppe Cumunculi art, very, very similar to Sal Buscema art. Um, you know, modernized, of course, but I just I really liked this book. It it had the feel of those types of stories that I previously liked, and it's you know Tim was right, emo Spider Man. I mean, nothing. Okay. He's not cheering up at all in this book. Since you're hitting on the art, Paul, what did you think of the art in this book? I liked it. I liked it very I, much. I liked Great. every scene where they're in costume. Every scene where they're not is ridiculously bad. 
these faces are completely unrecognizable. And I don't know if it was the art or the colors. I think part of my problem comes with the color of this. That does not look like Peter Parker. And I had no clue that was even supposed to be Peter Parker until someone said his name. The hair color is completely wrong. The face doesn't look right. Mary Jane looks chubby and her face looks completely wrong. Everything about her out of, you know, when she's on the panel is wrong. Carly Cooper did not look like Carly Cooper. And I wouldn't have known that it was Carly Cooper unless they specifically said it. Everything in in costume, perfectly done. And I would, was ready to glow about how good the art was when they were in costume, the lizard, all of that. But all of the faces are when of not in costume are completely and totally wrong. And I think a big part of that is the coloring. The coloring just doesn't look right on those pages. And I'll agree with you. I think Peter Parker's hair is a little light uh, in this book. You know, he looks almost blonde. But I mean, I, I liked the art. I really did, and I liked it even when they were out of costume. And again, it it it, it appeals to the type of Spider-Man stories that I loved growing up. The art is just very similar, and that. Sal Buscema is one of my favorite Spider-Man artists of all time, and this is just so similar to that that I I just I really love it. I just don't know who to blame for for it. I mean, it's whether it was the the original art or the coloring, but Peter, Mary Jane, and Carly are really the only three that get to me. None of those characters look like those characters, and I would have never had a clue that's who they were supposed to be unless they mentioned it. Well, the Horizon people aren't as bad; they actually look like the Horizon people. But how do you know Mary Jane wasn't mainlining Twinkies while Peter was out at sea? <laughs> I mean, she was stressed. Maybe she she's had... just retaining water. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, Peter on. was gone and she had a nightclub to open. I mean, she was stressed out. Stressed people eat. She's a stress eater. Did you not know that about Mary Jane? <laughs> hey, she used to I... smoke. Now she eats. Can I just say how much I like the cover? Specifically, the world's tastiest superhero <laughs> line at the top. Oh, I know. Yeah, I didn't the... catch that until you just said it. <laughs> I I love that. I was looking and I was like, the world's here. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's this violent cover of Spider-Man inside the lizard's inside the lizard's mouth, essentially. He's and all it, up inside there. Yeah, it says the world's tastiest superhero, the Amazing Spider-Man. Do you think the lizard would say something like, "Hey, tastes like chicken"? Maybe on next issue's cover, they'll have a little thought balloon. That would be awesome. <laughs> so, but what did everyone think of Club MJ? I was a little disappointed, to be honest with you. You didn't see much of it. Well, not only that, there was no Spider-Man-ish aspect to it. I I thought, you know, it was a Spider-Man party, but it was all, like, green lights and all that stuff. I I expected it to look a little more... I expected some Spider-Man-themed decorations that you could get at Party City or something. Maybe, like, a spider buggy in the corner? Yeah. I just love that it wasn't just a party, that she now owns a nightclub. And that this is part of the ongoing story, that... MJ has a nightclub. That just, to me, that just screams MJ. Well, I got to say, here's another thing that I was disappointed in. And I, I, like I said, I loved the art on the book. I loved the feel of the book. There were some story beats that I didn't care for. And one of them is the MJ Peter reunion. Considering how much they played that up in Ends of the Earth, that she was buying a club just for him, and he didn't sleep with Silver Sable because he was thinking about her. All of that, and their reunion is literally just like, hey, how's it going? You're a jerk. I bought this book club for you. I hope you like it. Done. I mean, like it, it didn't seem like there was this big, you know, tearful hugs and kisses reunion that I was no, expecting. Because, because, you know, Silver Sable's dead. 
I, I, I agree with Andrew. That that made sense. Yeah, made I think she wa- it wasn't a great reunion. She wanted that reunion, and he was being all emo. Because he, Silver Sables did. She uh, he was harshing her vibe. Harshing her mellow. That's right. And this is all about MJ. So you, you can't I, I your did street words. I loved her calling, telling him that that was the stupidest thing she'd ever that he'd ever said. I got a huge kick out of that because oh, we've yeah. all been thinking that. We've all said that. Yeah. We're like, that is the stupidest thing ever. How can you say no one will ever die when you're around? I mean, we've made fun of it on who knows how many podcasts. And yes, I loved MJ being the voice of the reader and being like, Peter Parker, you're an idiot. Let me talk about the biggest disappointment in this book. Anybody read the letters page? No. 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 Okay. Somebody <laughs> basically wrote in and said, I love Carly. Is Carly coming back into Peter's life? What's happening? And then I don't know who's writing it. The editor basically threw Dan Slott under the bus. He's like, don't blame me. I'm not writing this thing. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, if you like Carly, F you is basically what just was told to us. Well, I also see the uh, they replied back. Carly can be seen in recent issues of The Punisher. Correct. I didn't know that. Carly's I wonder if... I wonder if she looks better over in The Punisher. Carly's getting some ass somewhere else. Just saying, if you read The Punisher, Carly's getting some ass somewhere else. <laughs> so Car- Carly's moved on with her life. So she's, Greg... sh- she's showing the spider tattoo to somebody else? She is. Apparently. Is she showing it to The Punisher? <laughs> no. Is he punishing it? If you know I, what I, I mean. think Punisher <laughs> might actually just shoot her if he sees it. Yeah, well, that's but, what you that's know. Pretty... I w- I was that's, into this, but if you're into him, I, I'm not down with that. Uh, you know, Aaron and I went the same place with that. <laughs> yeah, he'll shoot it. It's a target. <laughs> so, you know, if one Spider-Man is good, certainly two Spider-Men must be better. Mustn't they, Wayne? I, I, I'll i let Wayne answer that. <laughs> you know, I still I, I didn't want this crossover to happen. But to, while it's happening, I am buying it. And so far, I'm kind of enjoying it. I thought so, this, this issue number two was fantastic. So, it, so, so hold on. Wayne Wayne didn't think he'd like it. He thought it was a bad idea. But yeah. then he read it, and he liked the book. Yeah. And he's going to continue to buy it. I'm not going to draw parallels to any other topics we've been talking about in recent weeks. But just, we're watching. Can't the person just be done with the concept? <laughs> I was done with the concept of Watchmen. I didn't need more Watchmen. But, but if you bought it, you might like it and keep buying it. I'm just saying it worked with Spider-Man. But go on, Aaron. You're telling us what you thought about it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Let's, let's talk about Spider-Man, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, when we talked about Spider-Man number one, you know, Wayne and I had said basically it was our, our regular Peter Parker Spider-Man book because the really the crossover happens on the last page, you know, where Spider-Man runs into Miles Morales. And this book is all Pete and Miles interacting, fighting, uh, fantastic dialogue between the two. P- our Peter realizing that he is in an alternate universe and that, hey, you're dead in this universe. Book was yeah. pretty damn awesome. I didn't like that they had to go through the fight first. That seemed a little uh, – I know Peter's kind of out of it because he's in an alternate reality here, but it seemed a little bit much for him to be starting the fight. With an 11-year-old. <laughs> with an 11 year old and when he when he realizes how young the kid is too yeah. i mean that seemed a little bit out of it to me i I, ha- I loved his interaction with nick fury well and i have to say one of the one of the 
interactions that he had with Miles really amused me. He's like, so you're called Spider-Man. And he's like, yeah, not Spider-Boy. <laughs> I, I thought that was pretty amusing because, you know, all the all the villains that that uh, Miles has fought have all said Spider-Man. Really? So uh, I, I dug it. And God, the artwork yep. in this book uh, is just fantastic by Sarah Pacelli. Just amazing artwork. I also loved when uh, Peter kicks Miles off a building. Uh huh. And then it's just, I thought he could stick to web. I thought he could web or stick to walls. Yeah. Because he has no idea what the kid can actually do and can't do. So he's suddenly freaking out, just thinking, I can't afford the therapy if I kill the kid. No, the book is supremely well written. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I, my, my only. My only thing is that as a reader, I would have preferred to have had this in the first issue because I thought the yeah. first issue was a little slow. I am really loving the ultimate version of Mysterio, too. Yeah, ultimate Mysterio is pretty badass. I mean, this isn't his first appearance, but yeah. this is his most well done appearance. Yeah. Yeah. And his little uh, avatar is uh, pretty cool as well. So, no, I, I'm, I'm just digging this book. So there you go. Book Doug. Are you digging ultimates as well? We haven't talked about – I don't think we've talked about the Ultimates in a couple of issues. Yeah. And you know, it, largely it becomes from – that Wayne and I, when we're talking about what books we're going to talk about, and since he and I are the only ones reading the Ultimates here on the, on the show, we're just like, well, you know, it's really good. What else are we going to say? That's what we've said yeah. you know, every time. And this wraps up the uh, current story arc. That uh, Hickman's been writing, where you know it's the Ultimates versus you know Reed Richards, evil Reed Richards, and uh, wow, I do think the storyline stretched on a little bit too long, though. No, I don't disagree. I think I think that the the that it was milking the clock a little bit, but boy, the payoff happened big in this issue. Yeah, I was when I read this, I was so excited. Yeah, uh, there's a. A guy at work that I trade comics with, and I just I went in and was just gushing about the end of the storyline to him the next day because if you know Marvel has had a problem, and both companies have this problem of finishing a big story arc like this, giving us a satisfying ending to the story arc, mm-hmm. and this just hit it on you know all all cylinders firing. Everything about this finale to the story arc was good. Yeah, I uh, I don't want to spoil the twist, you know, but man, the payout is huge. I just really, really enjoyed this book. Yeah, and the interactions between uh, Tony and Reed uh-huh. are just those are some good conversations. Yeah, you know, and and, and t- Tony plays off, you know, the fact that you know he's always branded himself as, as smarter than Reed Richards, and you know Reed Richards has got his giant, you know, misshapen brain that he's grown <laughs> and uh you know tony's like yeah but i'm a real genius and it just keeps mm. digging into him like i'm the cool kid you're the nerd it really i love the way all of that worked in this book yeah and it calls back to all of the earlier storylines with tony in here yeah. and the uh you know the the early storylines he's dying of cancer he's got a brain tumor all of that are all mentioned it's not yeah. a tumor Reed is taunting him. I could curing cancer is the first thing we did. You could have had your cancer cured. Yeah, yeah. Though I, I will say it seems a little strange that Thor's got a a, a Bluetooth uh, cell phone, you know, hands free cell phone unit. But uh, other than that, you know, it's it's a groovy book. I really dug it. 
really dug it. I, I, you know, pick it up and trade or go back and pick up the last six issues. But golly, Jonathan Hickman uh, has done a marvelous job on the Ultimates and just proves that he that he is well positioned to do a great job on the Avengers when he takes that book over. Yeah, I completely agree. I'll be picking up Avengers when he takes it over. Well, we sure do like what he's doing with Fantastic Four and FF, don't we? Holy shit. And did, who read FF this week? I did. I, did you love it? I loved it. Oh, God, it was good. It was not only good, it was hilarious. Yes. And, and you know, let's go from the cover. You know, uh, you've got the cover of the, the, the two Future Foundation kids riding rhinoceros, rhinoceri, uh, <laughs> through the, the jungles of Wakanda. And, you know, you've got one of them with a, with a juice pouch. And, you know, what I, what I really like about the cover is that you've got the, the very natural earth tones of, of you know, the, 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 the jungle and of the, uh, of, the, uh, of the kids wearing their, you know, their, their khakis. And then you've got, you know, the very electric blue modern, you know, PDA device that the kid's reading as he's riding the back of the rhinoceros. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I really dug the cover, but man, the magic happens within the pages of this book. And it, again, oh, yeah. it's a, it's a done in one kind of story, even though it does tag off of the most recent issue, but it's just, you know, the, really the, 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 the setup in this book is the kids are out on a, on a jungle adventure out in Wakanda. And take it away, Paul. <laughs> well, I mean, as we saw in the most recent issue of Fantastic Four, the Fantastic Four have taken the Future Foundation with them to Wakanda, and while they deal with a, uh, you know, they're dealing with another issue with the the Black Panther uh, about like this ancient evil that's coming back to Wakanda, the kids are kind of left on their own, <laughs> and so they're basically, you know, just walking around Wakanda, you know, yeah, learning about all the science. You know that that the Black Panther that the Wakandans have uh, you know used to bring a reservoir, fresh water to their land, even though it's not normally there. That kind of thing. Yeah, and they're they're out on safari, so they're riding zebras, you know, and uh, they they find out about the evil hyena clan, the hated scavengers and thieves, calling no nation home. The pack roams the continent, taking whatever they 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 want killing whatever stands in their way. And so these guys are the, are the local bad guys and, uh, they essentially beam in to right where the future foundation kids are. And they're like, Holy crap, we all got to hide. So they all hide. And, you know, the, the bad guy chieftain says, uh, you know, says to one of his guys, he says, uh, I, I want you to answer a simple question as my spear hand, what's your primary role in our pack? He says, well, above all things, see to the protection and safeguarding of you, my liege, to be alert to all threats to your to your person. He says, oh, I see. Well, if that's true, how do you not see the giant freaking dragon hiding behind the freaking tree? I'm sorry. <laughs> I about shot Diet Coke across the kitchen table when I was reading that. Oh, <laughs> I know. It's hilarious. It is a hilarious scene. <laughs> uh, I and loved then- it. And then they're all they all open fire on what's that character's name, Paul? The is it the dragon? What is it? What is it? What's that character's name? Yeah, just dragon. Okay, so they're all open fire on him, and of course he's a pacifist, and he's you know he says I know we're all slaves to the aged nurture versus nature argument, Ugh. but I implore you to overcome whatever the root cause of this violence is and become better men, Ugh. or 
at the very least, oof, get some therapy. And so meanwhile, hiding in the bushes, you've got the Moloids who are, <laughs> who are thinking, well, I think perhaps it's time to intercede. But what if this is the tough love Dragon needs to overcome his pacifistic shortcomings? Yes, indeed. These are uh, proactive times. One simply can't stand around and debate instead of doing. Exactly! In this unjust world, who would sit by and watch violence being done to the innocent? It just cracks me up. <laughs> That is pretty good. <laughs> well, and then Bentley. Yes. <laughs> the way he takes down the, the leader the of the high unit, the, the yeah. chieftain of the high unit tribe, it's to kick him in the balls. Yeah. Well, and, and everyone's remarking at the end of it. See how he did this pacifistically? And he goes, did you see me kick that guy in the stones? <laughs> <laughs> well, and my favorite part was, you know, he kicks him in the stones and he yells, sucka. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, this book was outstanding. Yeah, it's 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 a funny ass book, which is not typically something you get from Jonathan Hickman, but he's been kind of doing it a lot lately in FF with the, like the Peter Parker issue and all that. Yeah, but uh, you know this this is really giving him a chance to show his, you know, so, some more skills besides the fact that he can write some damn good you know espionage type stories. He well, can also write good human stories too. And we pick up a new character in this book, so a new member of the class looks like will be returning to to New York from Wakanda. So, mm-hmm. Really dug the book. Really dug the book. Yeah, uh, d- definitely check it out. FF nineteen, great book. But you know what else was a great book this week, Aaron? Um, gosh, uh, well ooh, there was the, ooh, there were those ooh. shed books that Comicsology sold, and then I also picked up Grim Hunt, the Amazing Spider Man story, also through Comicsology on their ninety nine cent sale. Um, those did were, you read that yet? Uh, no, I just started that one. Oh, it's so good. But, but, but you know, I suspect like, you're talking about something else. Uh, Andrew, Andrew, what am I talking about? I think we're talking about Justice League Dark number 10 that came out this week. Oh, I yes! <laughs> I tell you what, Jeff Lemire ha- is just writing an amazing book over there. Uh, I heard about the first eight issues of Justice League Dark, and boy, did it sound like it sucked. And now with him on the board, it is, it is just it's like a little bouquet for my nose. It is delightful. Yeah, it is a uh, a fantastic book. Justice League Dark number ten. You know, we talked about Justice League Dark number nine, um, which was the first issue of the Jeff Lemire run. Features the team of John Constantine and and Zatanna and some other folks. And, Dead you know, Man, Bennett, Doctor Mist, Black Orchid. Yeah. So basically, they they uncover the maps to the books of magic. Um, now, the books of magic. It, for anyone who's not read the Vertigo title are basically, they contain all the magical knowledge in the world. They may, And no one knows whether they're the origins of magic in the world, or if they just contain all magical knowledge of the world. Either way, it's like infinite power. It's like having the infinity gauntlet of the DC universe. Um, it's kind of funny, be, because these are all concepts that were Vertigo books that have not been integrated into the DC universe until now. So, you know, we're getting some really interesting stuff here including the team's new headquarters which is the house of mystery yes i love how they work that in with with john costing invites them into his this place he won in a card game and for starters who walks into a place called the house of mystery i mean i would just turn around and wandered out of that little pocket realm at the corner <laughs> what, the crossroads of all realities how they describe it yeah that seems like a bad place to hang out Well, you know, it's kind of funny, because one of the things that I enjoy about this book, especially this issue, is that it has very much a feel of the Mighty Avengers when Dan Slott was on it, in that the House of Mystery is an ever-changing 
house. And they're trying to make their headquarters in this place that is constantly changing. Rooms are rearranging. The place is shifting. And that's very similar to Dan Slott's Mighty Avengers, who made their home in like the Ultraverse or some shit. Not the Ultraverse, but some mini-universe that was constantly expanding and constantly changing. So I really like the concept. I really like that concept, and I like that they're putting it in Justice League Dark. But really, the star of the book is John Constantine. Yeah, I mean, he is just a bastard in this issue. You didn't really see it in, in 9, but in 10, you, he is he is just a bastard. Yeah, he, he, he does all sorts of wrong by his team. He, basically, they are a team in only the concept that he has conned them all <laughs> or tied them all magically to him, and they have no choice. But they are not a team in the sense that they have gathered to take on a greater evil. In fact, by the end of the book, it's essentially a team in that they're all just keeping an eye on him because they know he's going to fuck something up. Well, I love how everybody gets angry and upset with him and stalks out of the room. And then as they're out in the hallway, you know, two of the groups, people who stormed out at different times run into each other and like, what are you doing out here? And, you know, they're telling him, like, did you leave him alone with the map to the books of magic? (laughs) <laughs> and everybody's like, there's like everybody's, there's this panicked look on everyone's face like oh, we left him alone with it they all go rushing back <laughs> and of course he's he's screwed something up he has <laughs> he, indeed screwed something up yes he has screwed the pooch and uh you know it, it it all ties with steve trevor from the justice league book and it's just this is such a great book it has finally become the book that i thought it was going to be when it first started you know you put justice league on your cover you better be pretty damn good and pretty damn important um and this book is is finally doing that under the you know jeff lemire's writing and uh the art is pretty damn good too Uh, i feel bad because i don't remember the artist's name right now oh it's uh Michael, I'm scrolling backwards. I'm not going to guess. Here it is. Uh, Mikel Janine. There we go. Uh, but just beautiful book. You know, definitely worth checking out. If you like supernatural type storylines, um, it, it's just it's really really well done. And if you, you just know, like Zatanna, come check it out. Yeah, hey, Zatanna's outfit in the new DC universe. Uh, you didn't think it could get better than the original DC universe, but it, it does apparently. It does. I, actually, I, for for being someone who's out there running around having battles, I actually like this better than her old outfit. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Um, so, are there fishnets on her arms? Yeah. Oh, yes. Man. But she's got leather pants though. Yeah, but I like the fishnets. and a boost in a leather bustier. Okay, that's saying something. <laughs> in a tattoo. Yeah. It, Where, it, wait, where's the tattoo? Well, the one that's visible is on her upper left arm, but I have a feeling she has more than one. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a Spider-Man target on her back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Punisher is going to shoot that, too. <laughs> no, the it's the DC. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> Justice League Dark, uh, 9 and 10, go, you know, hop on, check them out. They're, uh, they're very good. I'm excited to see where Jeff Lemire takes them from here because uh, the beginning of the storyline is great. And do you know how many issues this is supposed to run, the, this particular storyline, Paul? I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, generally storylines run around six issues, so I'm assuming five, six issues. But uh, I'm on board as long as Jeff Lemire's knocking it out of the park like this. 
All right, now we had a new Before Watchmen title come oh, out. We had yes. Night Owl number one that Aaron and Paul picked up. I I'm conserving money for uh, the Rorschach issue coming out later. But guys, what'd you think about it? What you're not willing to try this book? I would Andrew? love if you send me money, I will buy every issue Before Watchmen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> money, Wayne. So Paul, what'd you think? Um, I think. Before Watchmen Night Owl, number one, is a good book. I think it is very much a typical superhero book, though. I, I find nothing, none of the feel of the other books, you know, and none of the feel of Watchmen, even, per se. It, it, it's very much just like a, I don't want to say generic, because it's actually pretty good, but it, it's a generic superhero book. That, that's how I felt about it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much, but it, it brought nothing new to the fold, I think. I, you know, I will, I will preface my comments by saying that overall I very much enjoyed it, but I will say that it is uh, of the Before Watchmen books that have come out, it is the one I have enjoyed the least. Um, sure. But I still I, – on a, on a scale of, of you know, 1 to 10, 10 being the best, I'm probably giving this a solid 7. You know, yeah, I'd agree with in, that. In, in terms of overall books, uh, Andy Kubert's work on this is amazing. You have a real sense of space, the atmosphere, and the setting. I mean, every single panel has a set to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, you, from from the time that the book opens, you know, in the dining room um, uh, of, uh, of 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 the, of the main character, and suddenly Dan. Uh, I mean, Thank you. Yeah. Um, the, the guy who becomes Night Owl. Night Owl 2. Yeah, Night Owl 2. Um, you know, to him going to his bedroom, you know, all of that is just the space is so well occupied. Um, where I think this, the, the book falls down, though, is in terms of the story that's being told. And the reason why I think it breaks down, I really enjoyed how, you know, the, the, this main character, Dan, who becomes Night Owl 2, um, he is a fan of the original Night Owl. And so, you know, when you go into his room, you see where he's built the models, he's got the action figures, he's got all the news clippings. And, you know, he just really follows this, this, you know, celebrity superhero. Well, he, he, he begins stalking him essentially, you know, and actually follows, you know, uses a, a tracking device to follow him back to his underground lair and, uh, uh, you know, goes and, you know, he goes in, puts the guy's mask on, sits around in, in, in his, uh, you know, the secret night owl cave and then leaves him a note and says, hey, meet me at this address and, you know, puts the, the mask back. So, you know, they meet in the park. And it's this great scene where original Night Owl meets, you know, the kid who's going to become the new Night Owl. And you don't find out until the end of the meeting that the original Night Owl brought a gun with him and was prepared to shoot this guy. I mean, yeah. I, I really thought that was a nice scene. I liked the scenes where original Night Owl is training the new guy. Um, what I dislike is how the story occupies so much space within the story that was already told by Watchmen. Yeah. Um, I, I, I dislike how much of that meeting of uh, the new superhero team, you know, which is a scene that we see, you know, in the Watchmen uh, book. We saw it in the Watchmen movie. And, you know, you see how badly that goes. And really what it's showing is, you know, Dan's first meeting with the Silk Spectre and how from that point he was already infatuated with her. Well, you know, we already had that in, in Watchmen. 
We didn't need yeah. to see that again. And I'm, I, I really think that that the story where it worked was where it was before huh, the Watchmen story. Yeah. You know, I, I, I enjoyed all of that, but it was like once we got here, I was like, oh, we're going to do that. So we're going to we're going to be in that same space that Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons have already shown us. And that's where I think this really broke down. Yeah, the overlap I, I didn't care for. Yeah. Um, because it's the same story told just from different panel viewings, right. you know, different sides of the panel, essentially. Um, but I did like anytime Rorschach and uh, Night Owl were teamed up, I love that stuff. I yeah. love that stuff. I, th- I think those are those two working together and their, their banter works so well. And oh, JMS absolutely. did a great job on that. Um, now, I will say one thing that – another thing that I didn't care about the book, and we're being really critical of this just because there have been some excellent books on this before Watchmen uh, in a saga already. I feel this book suffers a little bit from the typical JMS preachiness. Yes. You know, there are just pages upon pages upon pages of text, 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 text. You know, and not, not full text pages, but, you know, just characters talking like speeches. Yeah. You know, and that's 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 very indicative of JMS, especially if, if you've read his Superman Grounded run. You know, just very preachy about, or, oh, you know. Or watched an episode of Babylon 5. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it suffers a little bit from that. As soon as I read that, I'm like, yep, JMS wrote this book. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, generally, it's a good book. I think it'll probably read better in trade. Um, and I, I'm, I'm curious as to where it goes, especially since we're already in Watchmen territory. Yeah. You know, all the other books, when issue one ended, there was still so much left yeah. before yeah. Watchmen. <laughs> yeah. This one's already in the Watchmen timeline. Yeah, and I mean, they've already got Rorschach and Night Owl teamed up. And, you know, while I, I'm interested in that, I would, I, I think perhaps I might have preferred a Night Owl and Rorschach title versus yeah. Rorschach being in the Night Owl book. Because, I mean, you're given to believe that this is a Night Owl book. But, you know, Rorschach is certainly in a large space of this book. Yeah. You know, so anyway, I, again, I enjoyed it very much. I'm glad I bought it. I enjoyed reading it. Um, it's just uh, on, of all the Before Watchmen books that have been out so far, least favorite. Agreed. Agreed. Now, moving from the Dark Knight of the Watchmen universe to the Dark Knight of the DC universe, Batman the Dark Knight number 10 came out this week. First issue by fan of the pot, not fan of the podcast, friend of the podcast. <laughs> Friend of the podcast, Greg Hurwitz. Uh, you know, he he writes suspense novels, excellent suspense novels. Um, he's also done some great work over at Marvel, and now he's over at the DC side of the house. He's written the Penguin uh, New Fifty Two miniseries, and this is his first issue of the Dark Knight. And Aaron and I both gave it a shot. Yeah, and it was only by virtue of the fact that there just weren't a whole lot of books out this week that uh, I picked this up. Because, you know, I actually I rather like Greg Hurwitz. It had nothing to do with the fact that Paul asked me to buy this book because no. because, Paul, you've lost all credibility with me. But I, uh, I, I do rather enjoy uh, Greg Hurwitz and certainly David Finch as well. Um, I, I thought this book was great and it was rather horrific. Uh, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the images of the uh, of the stitched lips and uh, the, the terrible things that are happening to to uh, children in the book. Um, is pretty intense. Really liked the moments with Bruce Wayne. Yeah, you know, the the uh, the uh, you know the moments with him and Natalia were really very nice. You know, I I I think the, this is this is a strong first issue in this story. Yeah, and you know, 
every Batman book should have a different feel. And, you know, Batman the Dark Knight has kind of suffered since it's begun, you know, either from poor writing or just this lack of identity. And I think this issue kind of brings to the forefront that hopefully, you know, Greg Hurwitz is really going to bring about these darker supernatural elements or, you know, the, the horror element of the Batman franchise, because this book is, is it's kind of like a horror book with Batman in it. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the scarecrow is the main villain and he does some pretty terrible things more, more terrible than most anything we've seen him do before. Yeah. It's, I mean, then the, you know, he, he, uh, infects Jim Gordon with, you know, his, his, uh, scare dust or whatever it's called. And I mean, the, the, the nightmare that, that, uh, Gordon experiences is pretty awful. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a it's it's a dark book, but it's yeah. so well written, and the art by David Finch really sells it. Oh my goodness! Yeah, you know? no, the artwork is 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 amazing. I mean, the not to 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 diminish anything that, that Greg Hurwitz wrote, but I mean, you could lift the the word bu- balloons out of this, and you'd have just as fantastic a book. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the pages just sing. They are they are just amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, I recommend checking it out. I know a lot of people are like, why do I need another Batman book? I'm already reading Batman and Robin, or I'm already reading Batman. Uh, you know, no one's really reading Detective Comics. But <laughs> Batman the Dark Knight, number 10, fantastic book. I, I recommend checking it out. You know, Greg yeah. Harwitz is, is a damn good writer, and I pretty much enjoy everything he puts his name on. So, you know, uh, Batman the Dark Knight, number 10, I recommend it. Yep. Good stuff. Now, speaking of friends of the podcast, Raven Gregory from Xenoscope Entertainment has, you know, sent us some previews of his books in the past, books like Fly and The Theater, um, and we've pretty much enjoyed all of them. Yeah, like now, you were just saying about the uh, the other author, he's someone that I enjoy basically everything he does. So, Irresistible Number One, um, he sent us a preview copy of that. It's his newest creator-owned title. I don't know what company it's going to be published through, but I'd imagine Xenoscope. He has a pretty good working relationship with them. Um, so, this is a very advanced review. I, I don't believe the book has even been solicited yet, uh, but you know that they they wanted to you know get the word out on it early. It'll probably be an October solicit. So, uh, I know Wayne, Tim, Andrew, you guys all read the book. What'd you think? I love the book. I mean, it's there's not much yet with the first issue. We don't really get into the the story, and the twist doesn't come till the end. But I I really enjoyed the book, the writing, the uh, I thought the art was good. The uh, the 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 main premise is about a guy that's uh, basically heartbroken, um, and he makes a sort of genie style wish. Although he doesn't know it at the time, and that's kind of you know that's kind of what the first issue was about. It was about setup. Uh, I, I'm interested. Yeah, I mean, it seems to look that age-old question of be careful what you wish for. Um, and I, I gotta tell you, I, I identify a lot with the the main character and his dude bro uh, buddies who take him out at the beginning of the issue. I I, I like the twist that they have towards the end and. Uh, you don't see it in this preview, but boy, I think this guy's life is just going to be a living hell, and I'm, I'm excited to see him go down the tubes. <laughs> yeah, I like the. I say I like that we don't see it in the uh, the first issue. The first issue is a lot of setup for what the story is going to be about, but it was. Uh, it's nice that we're going to see the good side of his wish before it all starts going bad. 
Yeah, he, I think it's just gonna it's gonna be a train wreck that we get to slowly yeah. watch unfold. And I I'm excited for this series, uh, and and I I can't wait for it to come out, which is a shame because we're gonna be waiting for a while. Yeah, well, you know, I, I really think that almost everything Raven Gregory writes, he turns to gold. I mean, it's just I love the guy. I love his writing. Um, yeah, and I think some of his strongest stuff, even though I like his grim fairy, fairy tale stuff, I think some of his strongest stuff is the stuff that's not tied into that universe. You see, and, I'm not, I'm not a grim fairy tales guy, but boy, do I love Fly. You know, I love the theater. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one coming out. And um, uh, yeah, so if you're if you're one of those guys who who goes to a still goes to a comic book shop instead of buying your stuff digitally, uh, you might want well to look and having it pre-ordered for when it does does come out. Yeah, and we'll, we'll we'll let you know when it, when it pops up in your local comic shop. Yeah, it's uh, apparently it's going to be debuting at San Diego Comic Con. Oh, oh, all right. Well, that's just in a scant couple of weeks. Hot. So I have a question for you guys. Shoot. Yes. It's not like the anybody shoot at the shoot at the Spider Man <laughs> tattoo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> aiming, aiming. Um, is oh. anyone going to pick up Batman Earth One with me next week? Uh, is that the new hardback? Yes. Yeah, I might pick that up. I am psyched for this book. And remind Jeff Johns is writing it. Jeff Johns writing Gary Frank art. Oh uh, yeah, it's gonna be pretty sweet. See, I'm looking forward to it, but I'm not gonna buy it the first week it comes out. Uh, same thing with Superman Earth One. I didn't get that right away. I got it a little bit cheaper later on because the the initial price point is. Uh, as many books as I'm buying right now, I don't want to jump into a big hardback price point. Well, I do think that one mistake DC is making is releasing it on a regular week and not a five week. I agree. Um, I think we just had a fifth week. Yeah. This last. Yeah, week. yeah we did. Uh, the fa- you know, and they and they could have released it then. Um, you know, to, to avoid, you know, having to decide which books to spend your money on but i'm on, but i'm i'm picking up i'm picking up the book i am freaking excited for it um i don't know i don't think it includes a digital copy which kind of sucks because i know that's something marvel's doing with their original graphic novels and i wish dc would take point on it as well yeah but uh you know i get enough of a discount at my comic shop that it's worth not waiting for me yeah so and, i'm gonna that- go for it and that's how I feel about it as well. I get a pretty decent discount with uh, Zeus, so I'll probably pick that up this week. Yeah, if it were not for the discount, I probably would wait for Amazon. Yeah, um, but you know the, the the two buck difference or whatever between the Amazon and the uh, comic shop discount is not worth the wait for me. I'm going to pick yeah. it up. I've been really excited about this book, so I will definitely be chatting about that one next week. Now you know. Phil Hester talked about something on Twitter last night that uh, has me pretty pumped. And uh, he has just turned in his Sasquatch story for Six Million Dollar Man. I don't know. No. But I, I, Get I, out of here. I, I, am, I am so excited about this. Because, <laughs> you know, that was my favorite two-part story of, uh, of the original Six Million Dollar Man storyline. So I, 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 I can't wait. I'm giddy. I'm giddy. I'm, my, I'm nipples, my nipples are tight. It's one of my favorite episodes of the Venture Brothers is when, <laughs> you know, but essentially, they'd run into uh, the Bionic Man and Sasquatch up in the woods, yeah, hanging out, <laughs> falling in love with each other. Yeah. Now, now, Paul, you were about to make a confession. Uh, no, I was about to say I was ashamed of you, but <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's a confession. But, now, you know, I, it, I, 
Yahoo Groups wants us all to know something, and, and I know that this must be important news because they have sent it to me five times this morning. <laughs> Does while, that does that still <laughs> exist? I didn't think Yahoo Groups was still around. Well, it says, unfortunately, the time has come to say goodbye to Yahoo Groups Lab <laughs> Applications Beta and Groups Chat. We thank all the users that were a part of this program. We intend to use this learning to enhance Yahoo Groups further with new features. Well, so, I was just a recreational user. Come on. <laughs> well, I, I made meth in the Yahoo Groups Lab. So. <laughs> <laughs> beta well, test did, that shit. <laughs> Did either of you, any of you, the rest of you guys, pick up any of the number ones from 2012 from Image? Comixology had a sale last week where all the number one issues from 2012 were only 99 cents. You know, I looked at that, and I, most of them that I wanted I already had. Yeah. I had, I had not picked up Fatal, and I know oh. Paul likes to go on and on about Fatal, so, so I, I so picked does, it up. Yeah, Fatal's awesome. I love Fatal. See, you guys never mention these things while they're going on, because I don't go to Comixology's website unless I go to the print area to see what's going to come out each week. Yeah. But it's pretty rare for me to actually look through the website, because I don't really buy the digital stuff. Well, well you know, uh, I go to Comixology every day, because they have a sale every Almost day. Almost every day, yeah. yes. That's true. And well, I mean... Yeah. <laughs> well, I gotta say, I and, and and thank God the wife didn't listen to the show. But my uh, my digital comic spending has uh, has grown significantly because Comicsology has something at the ninety nine cent price point every day, and most times I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I just need them to run a, a sale on all the first five issues of Fatal now because I don't I don't know if I want to <laughs> pay full price. But but I gotta tell you what, Fatal number one by Ed Brubaker. Yeah. It it's it's a great book and ends on a cliffhanger. I'm like, oh, I need to know what happens. Yeah. Hey, uh, Andrew, a little yeah. peek behind the curtain here for for our listeners. You, you okay. know, Image has sent us issues one through five already. Wait, right? what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, I I I'd kind of forgotten because you know when it originally came out, I just overlooked it. I don't know why I was busy doing other things. And then the last couple weeks, you've mentioned it. And no, it kind of slipped to my mind that <laughs> I could just get on there and go read the rest of them. <laughs> uh, oh, well, I don't know why you told him, Paul. I don't know. I was going to let him you know, buy them all and then tell him. That's but right. that just seems cruel because then he won't buy before we watch. <laughs> I need to go uh, yeah, I need to go some time on issue, I guess. <laughs> or, or the PDF vault there, um, but yeah, Fatal Fatal's good. I, uh, I I didn't realize how good it was. Paul did not do a good job of selling it on me till recently. It, it, it is damn good. And issue six just came out the start of the second arc, which we didn't talk about this week um, because I don't think any of us have read it yet. But definitely pick up the the first arc of Fatal. I believe the trade paperback already came out this week too. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. Fatal, big big time book. Awesome. Yeah, it's good. All right, guys. Well, I think that sufficiently wraps up what we had to talk about this week. What do you think? Um, did we want to talk a little bit more about Spider-Man Alpha? <laughs> no. <laughs> we want to talk about John it. Carter? Go, go. Ooh. <laughs> All right. So, so everyone, so almost everyone has a topic that they don't want to talk about. Tim is digital comics. Uh-huh. Wayne is before Watchmen, and Humberto Ramos. I'm John Carter. Andrew is anything sexual. Oh no! I love talking about Alberto <laughs> Ramos. I love talking about how much I hate his art. Ugh, Jesus Christ! Maybe <laughs> I don't like to talk about Alberto Ramos because I'm, of your. <laughs> yeah, that's that's more fair. I love talking about the things that I hate. I'm more so iffy we, on the deviant 
uh, stuff, you know, like with big TV heads and uh, 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 Barney, <laughs> giant Barney. Yeah, yeah that's giant Barney. Okay, yeah, that that's what I don't want to talk about. Pretty I'm much the pretty much the saga stuff. What that's, about I want to stay away from that. What about the naked centipede lady? <laughs> oh. <laughs> She was a spider, Aaron. To be fair, she was a spider. I think. So, so our goal next week is to find Aaron's weakness. I don't have any kryptonite. No, he does. There's, I know that. Ah, shoot. I, gotta yeah. talk I know. I know he has quieted me before when I brought stuff up. I gotta think back. <laughs> there's a. There's a. There's a weak stomach button. Yes. Zip it, zip it, Tim. <laughs> he's, he's, he shut me down before, so I know yeah. there's something out there. Oh yeah, if you need inspiration, just listen to any of the old episodes that Jonathan Landreth was on. He, <laughs> he knows Aaron's weak spots. <laughs> Is it Stephanie Brown, Aaron? Is that your weak spot? No. No. Yeah. So that would that would imply that he gave a shit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And on that note, <laughs> bye everybody. Bye. 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 Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. <laughs>